So today we're going to be talking or learning a little bit uh, from some verses from Jeremiah. It's a bit different, isn't it? None of the Gospels, not looking in Genesis again. We're going for Jeremiah, which is somewhere in the middle there. Now, who was Jeremiah? Does anyone know? Doesn't matter, I can tell you. (laughs) He was a Hebrew prophet, a reformer and an author, obviously, because there's the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was born and grew up in a small village called Anatoth, I think, which is a short way out of Jerusalem, the city. And he came from a priestly family and no doubt his childhood would have been surrounded by the cultural and religious customs of his community, as are we. In his lifetime, there was much political transition and unrest, some would say, just like us. Times were often tense and the fight for power came at a cost to the people, as always. Jeremiah was known for his calling to prophecy and his documented quote, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth, but he received God's reassurance that he would put his own words into Jeremiah's mouth and make him a prophet to the nations. His main concern in his calling and ministry was with false and insecure worship of believers and, or sorry, insincere worship of believers and the failure to trust God in all their worldly affairs. So if we are to read Jeremiah's scriptures, a lot of his work is an appeal to his people and in turn to us now as we read through them about repentance and turning from worldly ways to God's way. But then there are a group of laments in amongst these scriptures that Jeremiah has written that reveal the true experiences of Jeremiah as a prophet and truth teller in his ministry. Basically, his life is an all peachy all the time and he certainly shares his thoughts on that. So what is lament? Looking up lament in the trusty old Google dictionary because we don't have paper ones these days apparently and it's changing anyway. Lament says, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow, a complaint, to express regret or disappointment about something or to groan, moan, howl or wail. Well, that's not very enjoyable, is it? But sometimes I'm sure we can all relate to feeling like we are sitting in lament. When we were in Melbourne for our fifth year service seminar recently, we heard in one of our sessions about lament and its true and necessary place in our relationship with God, which is what we're going to look at today, surprisingly, though it's not planned. God keeps doing that to us, doesn't he? There are two parts to today's scripture. The first part is Jeremiah's lament and the second part is God's response to Jeremiah. So we're going to read through it now. So we're looking at Jeremiah 15 verses 15 to 21. And this is Jeremiah speaking. Then I said, Lord, you know what's happening to me. Please step in and help me. Punish my persecutors. Please give me time. Don't let me die young. It's for your sake that I am suffering. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name. O Lord God of heaven's armies, I never joined the people in their merry feasts. I sat alone because your hand was on me. I was filled with indignation at their sins. Why then does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? Your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook 
like a spring that has gone dry. This is how the Lord responds. If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you. They will fight against you like an attacking army, but I will make you as secure as a fortified wall of bronze. They will not conquer you, for I am with you to protect and rescue you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Yes, I will certainly keep you safe from these wicked men. I will rescue you from their cruel hands. So let's focus on the first part, verses 15 to 18, which is Jeremiah's lament. Jeremiah seems to be at his wit's end, doesn't he? I can imagine he's locked himself up at home after another long day and he's turned to God in utter defeat. Now, one would assume that Jeremiah has a close relationship with God, so it might come as a bit of a surprise to see him lashing out like he does. Lord, you know what's happening to me. Step in and help. Do something to those guys who are against me. Don't let me suffer to the death. After all, I am only suffering because I'm doing your work. Wait, he didn't just go there, did he? Did he just blame God for the bad things that are happening to him because he's so good that he's doing God's work? Yikes. He goes on to remind God that he's not only doing his work, but he went all in, much like a teacher's pet who not only does their work but goes the extra mile and maybe even brings that perfect teacher's gift too. Upon discovery of God's word, he devoured them. God's words are Jeremiah's joy and heart's delight. He never joined the people in their merry feasts, meaning he steers clear of falling into greed and gluttony like those others do. He doesn't get drawn into their worldly behaviours. In fact, he's disgusted with the others who are sinning all over the place. So why, he says, why does my suffering continue? And then that final stab comes as he says that God's help seems unreliable or non-existent, like a seasonal brook or a spring that has gone dry. Now that's a lament. Have you ever been in a position to go so far as to question God's nature, his reliability, his love? What are we to make of this if a prophet, a spiritual leader and mentor, is so reckless with his words? Where's his fruit of the spirit, self-control? It would be easy for us to approach this text with wide judgmental eyes or maybe even relief or justification of our own behaviour. See, Jeremiah does it too. But I think we can truly learn something from this passage today about Jeremiah's actions and his freedom in his lament, but also through the response of God in the second part of this passage. You see, there is a reality that in spite of God's goodness, that evil still exists in the world. It's that old saying, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do they? Right here in these verses, it's almost as if we are reading from Jeremiah's personal diary. We're seeing his words, his thoughts and feelings in all their vulnerable and unfiltered raw glory. There's no doubt that even the most upstanding of prophets, pastors, Christian followers have struggle and pain in life. Jeremiah had a divine calling on his life from a young age, the giftings of prophecy. 
which drew him so close to God that he was able to share with others the word of God. But that doesn't excuse him from the realities of our earthly life. In fact, it is because he is working so closely with God that he becomes a countercultural figurehead in society. Now, we've talked many times before about Jesus in his times on earth being a countercultural figurehead, that all the politics and rules of the earthly leadership and power were pretty much the opposite of how God and then Jesus instructed us to live our lives. Jeremiah is essentially committing his life to pushing against the current of social norms to share the word of God. At some stages through that life and ministry, it's going to hurt. Jeremiah is going to get fatigued. He's going to be questioned, scrutinised, isolated and even punished for his work for God. So technically, his lament rings true. All this I'm experiencing because of you, God. I kind of think of Jeremiah's ability to open up in lament to God as a good marker, though, for his relationship with God. You see, as our relationships deepen with God, we begin to reveal more from the deeper places of our hearts and minds. And in turn, God reveals more deeply who we are in his eyes. Does that make sense? Think of it like a relationship with a partner, perhaps. At first, in our early dating times, everything is surface level. You don't share everything about yourself straight away. It takes time to build the relationship, doesn't it? And I think you'll find that it takes a bit of time before you have your first argument, right? You know, that first argument, it usually happens further into the relationship when you mean more to each other than you did before, when you start revealing more about yourselves to each other and, of course, you start feeling more connected, which allows you to be more vulnerable and share more with each other. As the relationship begins to build, it feels somewhat safer to share your lament side of you with your partner because you can trust them more and you want them to know everything about you. I know that I would quite gladly share a surface level conversation, a how was your week been kind of chat with anyone I come across, but I certainly don't share my heart struggles with anyone. I leave those things for only those closest to me who know me well and have my best interests at heart. So essentially what we see here is a man who has journeyed with God so intimately that he's ready to securely share his lament with God. Jeremiah trusts God so much that he knows it's okay to share what's in his heart openly, even if it's just a moment to let off steam and share his pain with his Father in heaven. So God hears Jeremiah's lament and then this is how he responds. He says, if you return to me, I'll restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. You must influence them. Don't let them influence you. They will fight against you like an attacking army, but I will make you as secure as a fortified wall of bronze. They will not conquer you, for I am with you to protect and rescue you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Yes, I will certainly keep you safe from these wicked men. I will rescue you from their cruel hands. Now that's a response. God instantly exposes the weakness in Jeremiah's questions, but at the same time, he gives insight on how he can survive this dark time. So in a way, God shuts down the somewhat selfishness of Jeremiah's lament that he indeed turned into a reel of his self-sacrificing good boy list. As harsh as it sounds, Jeremiah's attitude is actually no better than those he's complaining about. 
Because in this moment, he's asking God to take notice of his goodness while he unleashes his no-holds-barred whinge fest about his current less-than-enjoyable situation. But God knows it was right for Jeremiah to come to him, perhaps instead of going elsewhere, and he brings him back. After Jeremiah has had his moment, with reassurance of his original promises, God reminds him that he has the answer to how he can get through this mess. And he's talking about repentance, purpose and deliverance. So let's look at that first point, repentance. God says to Jeremiah, if you turn back, that is repent, then I'll take you back. Your enemies won't prevail over you for I am with you to save you and deliver you. So remember the idea of repentance is not one of shame or embarrassment. It's not a marker that, oh, you've been a naughty kid. Repentance isn't a reprimand or a scolding, but rather a changing of direction. Physically, it might look like taking a wrong turn on the way to your destination and having to, what do they say, chuck a yui, throw a u-banger, <laughs> make a u-turn and find your way back to the right road. Changing direction in repentance is the realisation that you've strayed from your close relationship with God and you need to turn your eyes back on him again. I might even go as far as to say that each time one repents to God, heaven celebrates. Repentance is something we should be rejoicing over for ourselves and each other and we'll all have the need to repent many times in our lives. And what is the instant result of repentance? God says, if you return to me, I will restore you. God's automatic reaction to repentance of his children is restoration. And secondly, purpose. God reminds Jeremiah that he must influence his community, not be influenced by them. You know the old saying, be in the world, but not of the world. God is saying to Jeremiah, you have a specific purpose that I have given you. You need to live out that purpose. We are God's masterpiece, created for his glory to do his good work. Each of us are made for a purpose. That purpose is to bring glory to God. Our purpose is not actually to have a happy life. It's not to live a life without struggle, without conflict, without pain. It's not even to do big and grand things or be successful. We are to live a life of purpose to bring glory to God. If we're not bringing to glory to God in all we do, we're potentially falling short of our purpose. God is saying to Jeremiah and to us, yes, enemies will come against you. Yes, danger will come your way. Yes, pain and suffering will happen. But our response to these worldly things should be, how can I bring glory to God in this circumstance? If Jeremiah were to succumb to the pains of his situation and perhaps retaliated to his attackers or even given up his work and just joined in with the sinners around him, what would he achieve? Surely not his God-given purpose. You see, it's not enough to decide you're a good person and just leave it there. It's not enough to be a good person and attend a church service each week and leave it there. It's not even enough to be a good person, attend a church service and donate to a charity. You can do all those things to an extent without having a relationship with God. Your purpose is to bring glory to God. But to do that, you have to have relationship with God intimately, not surface level. 
reading the word, discovering more about who you are, praying, worshipping, using your God-given gifts and even coming to him in your lament. The third point in these words that I want to focus on is deliverance. In his response to Jeremiah after God reminds him that it's true that he will face hardship, he also reminds him that he will deliver Jeremiah and us if we remain in him. God says, I will make you as secure as a fortified wall of bronze. I assume a fortified wall of bronze is pretty strong (laughs) and would resist most things. They will not conquer you, for I am with you to protect and rescue you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Yes, I will certainly keep you safe from these wicked men. I will rescue you from their cruel hands. God doesn't say, maybe there's a chance I'll help you out for some of the way. God says definitively, I will make you strong and secure. I will protect and rescue you. I will certainly keep you safe. These words are definite and final. God will do all these things for all his children. But for us to understand what strong and secure really is, not the worldly type but the the God-spoken type, for us to understand what protection and rescue is and what safe is in the eyes of God, we have to do the other stuff first. So what were those things? We must repent, turn back towards God, We must fulfill our purpose, press into him through word and prayer, giving glory to God in all that we do. And then once our relationship is strong enough to understand God's purpose, we begin to see more clearly and experience his deliverance. Just like Jeremiah when life throws us a curveball or when enemies attack, we have a choice. We can react in a negative or a worldly way. We can walk around moaning and groaning to everyone and anyone We can become the attacker to shift the attention to others. We can even sit in denial, which potentially is the worst one. But those are all worldly actions. Actually, it's far better to be honest with God about our experiences. He knows what we're going through anyway, and he's got big shoulders, he can handle it. But there's a real power in sharing it too, in actually voicing our experiences, even those bad ones. But then... You need to expect for God to shut it down, not because he doesn't care, but because he loves you and he loves me and he doesn't want us to remain stuck in that place, paralysed and imprisoned in our worldly ways of lament. God wants us to leave our cares with him and carry on with a renewed strength. If Jeremiah was to redirect his focus from his current inward circumstance, the one that's eating him up, causing lament, stewing over all the injustice that's coming his way, to a renewed focus on God's mission, his true purpose, then his close relationship with God continues and Jeremiah comes to know more fully who God is as saviour, deliverer and redeemer. God doesn't want us to remain in the darkness of our pain and our lament. He certainly doesn't want us to allow that darkness to fester and to spread to the communities around us. He wants us to hand them to him because his grace is an invitation to come to him in every circumstance. We also have the added benefit of knowing the full story of Jesus, which Jeremiah didn't quite have, although 
you could read his prophecies and know something was bubbling under the surface there. And his fulfillment of the narrative of sin, Jesus, we know that Jesus has already conquered sin in our lives. So our assurance becomes even more clear, doesn't it? Because when God says, I will do these things, we know that he did do these things and that Jesus actually completed it before. It's just that we don't believe it. (laughs) We say we do, but do we really believe that the work is already done? What's truly beautiful about this story of lament is that when we turn our eyes to Jesus and focus all our lives on him, the other stuff actually fades away. Have you experienced the joy of relationship with Jesus? When troubles come to you in the world and you're focusing on Jesus, these other things, they seem to somehow seem less consuming, right? These problems may get you for a moment. They certainly get me for a moment. But that comfort and the promises of Jesus somehow strangely make the other stuff not matter so much. That's deliverance. When we follow Jesus' example, who prayed not what I want, but what you want to God, our focus changes, our purpose is activated within us, and the worldly self-centeredness is replaced by a God-centeredness that not only gives us what we need to survive physically and emotionally, but we also sense God's presence in everything we do, which brings the best out in us, but also frees us from the strongholds of the enemy. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life like that. So in a moment, we're going to sing a song. It's just a chorus, and I think you'll know it well. (laughs) But I don't want to waste this time if the Holy Spirit has a work to do today. So I want us to sing this chorus, and we'll probably sing it a few times. But if you're feeling like today you want to start again, you want to repent... You want to make a fresh commitment to your relationship with God. Then I actually want to invite you to stand as a sign to God that you're ready to turn back to Him. Remember, it's not shame, actually. By standing, heaven celebrates. God knows your situation. He knows what you're going through. And I feel like God is calling us as a church family to sing together, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so after we sing, I'm going to pray for you.